This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Aura Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and I am the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney. And my producer today is, as ever, the wonderful Anthony Dockrell. Normally on this show, we talk to journalists about journalism, as I just said. But for the second time in as many shows, I'm going to make an exception. Why? Because in this podcast special, we are going to further explore the recently released report into Facebook and Google by the Competition Watchdog, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. At 619 pages, the digital platforms inquiry is not for the faint-hearted, but as we speak, it's probably the world's most comprehensive look at the market power of Facebook and Google and what potentially to do about that. It comes with 23 recommendations, including no less than four proposed new industry codes and covers everything from privacy, data protection, digital copyright, fake news, media literacy, industry regulation, data portability, the imbalance between the platforms and the media business and suggestions to, for financial support for journalism with grants and tax breaks. You can check out my earlier interview with Rod Sims, the ACCC chair on 2SER and its partner broadcasters or via, the favorite, or via your favorite podcast app. Just search for Fourth Estate. That show is mainly about what the inquiry has to say about journalism and its relationship with Google and Facebook. And one of the key ideas is a proposed new industry code which will compel financial payments from the platforms to journalism for the use of news content. And that goes to what the news media industry has been saying for some time to Google and Facebook, which is essentially, give us some money back for using our content for you lot to make so much money. The ACCC is giving the platforms nine months to work with the news industry to create an acceptable code that, quote, treats news businesses fairly. But if they can't agree, it says another regulator, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, Uh, which will oversee the code, can step in and force the platforms to be fair. So there is a promise of a carrot and a bloody big stick. We will see how all that plays out, and in the end of the day, it all rests with the federal government, whether they accept all the recommendations from the ACCC report, some or none. So, so far, the noises from the Treasurer, Joss Frydenberg, have been uh, very much in the favour of the ACCC and in journalism as well. But as I mentioned... There is plenty more to talk about in the Digital Platforms Inquiry, in particular the ACCC's ideas on data, privacy, and how to regulate this crazy converged media landscape where the power has shifted from publisher to consumer, from consumer to platform. So in the manner of who wants to be a millionaire, 
I've called in some friends <laughs> to help me sift through the inquiry's recommendations and what they may or may not mean for us as consumers and we as an industry. So welcome to the show, Derek Wilding, the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at UTS. Thank you for having me, Peter. It's lovely to see you. <laughs> <laughs> and Sasha Molitoris, a journo-turned-academic who uh, also has the wonderfully exalted title of the postdoc research fellow at the aforementioned centre. Hello, Sash. Hey, Peter. Um, welcome, doctors, I should say. <laughs> so, yes, I know this is all a bit in-house, uh, and I know it's a bit of a sausage fest, but frankly, I couldn't think of any two people better qualified to talk about the HCC Digital Platforms Inquiry than you two. So, not least uh, because the CMT helped out the HCC on this inquiry with some background research, and I should add that it's gained funding from both Google and Facebook. So, I guess we were, we are kind of equal opportunity offenders. <laughs> so let's start with some overall impressions. Uh, Derek, I mean, you've worked around in, in and around media regulation, media reform for much of your wonderful career, which is only not even half over, let's face it. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you make of the thrust of the uh, digital platforms inquiry? What, uh, what does it get right? What does it kind of miss? Mm-hmm. I think the starting point is to say what an incredible resource it is. Um, that it brings together so much, I mean, and indeed some 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 things that we didn't know before. So um, the ACCC has not just looked at what's on the public record. They've used their their investigation powers to go out and acquire information that the rest of us didn't have access to. They've done some original analysis. So this very long report actually, um, I think, helps establish. The, uh, the state of play in a number of different areas. Um, and and it's, more, it's more far-reaching in that way than uh, similar work that's going on overseas. So that's an incredible, an incredible effort. Um, overall, it's, um, it's difficult to get a handle on it in a way because it covers so much ground. So mm. um, it, covers, uh, you know, it covers competition law, which is so different from, say, consumer privacy issues and that's so different from copyright or from media content issues. And it, because it's covering all of those and it's taking a different approach in those different areas, it's hard to say, oh, well, okay, um, this is the score overall because you really need to assess mm. what its recommendations well, are. We'll, get, we'll, we'll drill in. Yep. We will drill down on that. Just stay, stay with you for a second, Derek. Do you, the ACCC started out 80 months ago and it started out sort of, we thought, looking at the new news media business and how it could rebalance the relationship with the platforms. It's gone, as you say, it's gone much, much deeper than that. But in that specific area, do you think they've got that right? Um, they're getting there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people have different views on it. I, I, I think, you know, the, 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 the most interesting aspect, in a sense, is, is how they characterise what digital platforms are now. So they they have got closer to the publisher model in terms of how they characterize them. So they talk about the media-like functions of digital platforms um, and they talk about how the, the impact that platforms are having on the news and um, journalism environment. Um, so I think... So why is it important that they got close to the publisher? Just for the listeners to explain that. It's okay. Well, I think if you, if you start out thinking, if you ask the question, do we need some kind of regulation here? you need some kind of category or some kind of um, class uh, by which you, how you characterize 
these particular service providers in order to say, okay, well, we're going to regulate them in this way. Mm. So that raises the question then, well, are they the equivalent of media companies um, and so a certain set of obligations arises as a result or are they something different from that? And I guess this, before all of this started, the assumption was that they're just kind of intermediaries um, and some people were saying, some people in the in the news media business say, no, they're not. They're they're publishers, and mm-hmm. they should have the obligations of publishers. The ACCC's landed in between those two, but I do think it's getting closer to the publisher category um, than say um, than the pure intermediary. It's useful that they use this this term content creator, um, and I think maybe. Personally, I'd be. Uh, I think that that's kind of critical to it. That platforms are not, at least in the news and journalism area, they're not content creators. So they should, in my view, they shouldn't have the same obligations that that publishers have, news and journalism publishers have. But that doesn't mean that they should have no obligations. And so what the ACCC is really achieving here is helping us to steer a course through this and say, okay, well, given all these different things they do in each of these areas. Um, let's work out what are their obligations. And and the ACCC has by no means actually got us to that point of saying these are the obligations and this is how it should be done. In a number of areas, they're saying actually this is the path to get us there mm. now Let's that we go know work this. it out, yeah. these codes. Yeah. I mean, of course, it does depend on whether the federal government accepts their definition. Mm. I mean, yeah. that's, it enshrines it in some form of legislative reform, I'm assuming that has to come out of a lot of this. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really interesting, I think, that when, when this report was launched on Friday, Josh Frydenberg, the treasurer, was saying, um, you know, was actually describing the, um, the value of news and journalism within society and describing, describing it as an essential public good, mm. which um, does, I think, really help with that, with getting us to that point of saying, okay, there is something special here. We're prepared to recognise that it has a function over and beyond, say, manufacturing of, of cars or mm. some other kind of consumer good. There's something here that is got this inherent kind of social value to it and there's a problem with the business model for creating it. So mm. um, it's in this environment where there's now these very dominant players that are affecting how you produce that good. So we're prepared to actually recognize its value and step in in certain ways. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm bringing you in, Sash. I mean, both you and I used to uh, work in you know, the City Morning Herald. It went, as we all know, went through a massive digital transformation. It's still in it, still in, it in many <laughs> ways. But, you know, if we go back, say, well, eight, nine, ten years ago, uh, it wasn't that uh, it was quite common for the leaders of that company to talk about essentially equating journalism with a kind of widget. We were there making content widgets. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's really in, in, indicative mm-hmm. of how that debate has moved in this last decade to to what Derek just said that you know actually know that even the treasurer, the liberal treasurer, thinks we're uh, we're a bit more than just widget makers. Does that give you some sort of warm inner glow? It does, <laughs> I guess. I mean, there's been that realization all along that news and journalism has some sort of significance, you know, it has a real public good element, but it it did get lost a little bit along the way and it's coming to the fore again, I think. That seems to be the feeling. So it it is great. I agree with Derek that um, it's great to see that recognised so explicitly and strongly in this report. You're going to talk about privacy in a minute, but just what's your overall take on this report? You know, I mean, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Look, I've been... Very impressed all the way along with how the ACCC has, has handled this inquiry over 18 months. Um, you know, the, the extent to which it, it, 
It consulted with various groups, um, the number of submissions it received, uh, the, the depth and detail of those submissions. Mm. Um, the preliminary report back in December was a very impressive, substantial piece of work. Uh, and now this piece of work is even bigger at 619 pages. So there's a lot to digest and there's still a lot to compare between the first preliminary report and this one to see what is different between the two. So this, we'll still need some time mm. really um, to get well, our head a, a around it, as things, Derek said. Yeah, well, a few things have gone missing in between the, the prelim and this one. I mean, one thing that comes straight to my mind is the um, the first the preliminary report suggested that there should be uh, tax breaks if you were a subscriber, mm. uh, which has got lost. Why is that? Do you think? Look, I, I too hard. I can't Cost too much. I can't. So maybe there was a strategy there that the ACCC went uh, yes. uh, hard. Yes. In its preliminary report, so it could pull back a little bit yeah, and see much balcony. more palatable. <laughs> yeah, the Juliet balcony, exactly. <laughs> okay, I think that's um, uh, they made a comment somewhere. I think that um, that there's a difference between um, media that has a subscription model and media that doesn't rely on a subscription model. So it just relies on, say, an advertising model. And if you're giving the break to um, to consumers. Uh, who are paying the subscription, then you're helping that part of the industry and not the other part of the industry. So, uh, you know, they've they've clearly no- mm. noticed a few mm. of those mm. additional aspects in this period between the um, the preliminary report and the final report. Um, but just, I don't know, just how convincing it is that, in fact, you shouldn't try some of those things because there may be some distortion is, uh, I mean, I, ca- I kind of question that. Like the, the, other, um, the other aspect of the tax offsets for the production of journalism, I know, yeah, sure, there are some problems around actually identifying who it is that gets that. And, and so you don't give it to, say, an entire, an entire publication or entire, say, broadcasting operation because they do a whole range of things that are not public interest journalism. But it does strike me that... Um, that there must be a, a there must be a way of actually characterising something like um, public interest investigations. We've mm. just seen you know a big one this this weekend around um, around um, Crown Queen and China, yep. you know and we know that there are lots of examples of those. If we can, if in the academic world we can say, okay, well, this kind of research project is is deserving of this kind of support and we say that in film with Screen Australia and we say that in um, in theatre and literature with the Australia Council and we can find criteria to actually identify a particular work that we want to support. Um, it's a bit puzzling as to why you can't actually uh, isolate something, if mm. not everything, that might help. Well, that's yeah. just on that point and stick in there because one of the things that did survive was this idea of making it easier, and it's not defined really, but making it easier for news media to get charitable status. Mm. And when I asked Rod Sims a similar question to what you've just been exploring there, does, does that mean every news media organization gets it? Uh, he said, yeah, well, it's still work to be done because, as we all know, uh, news media is a very broad church, and, um, you know, parts of, say, you know, the Daily Mail concentrates on catsup trees and Kardashians, but it also does, you know, what you might call more serious journalism, but nonetheless. So does the Daily Mail get treated the same way as, you know, the Financial Review or the Australian or the Sydney Morning Herald or whatever? What do you think about that? I mean, is it impossible to work that out? Should we give everyone a tax break? Well, uh, if, if the Daily Mail can... In, at some point in the future, point towards some kind of activity that is deserving of 
that kind of classification, then I don't see why it shouldn't be eligible. But, I mean, there's, there's two aspects, aren't there? There's one, one is you've got to get the criteria which, which is able to identify what the work is, but then you've also got to have, on, on this particular proposal, then you've got to have someone that's prepared to make a, philanthrop- a philanthropic donation for that particular entity. And that's different from mm-hmm. if it was through the tax system whereby you do it, you meet the criteria, and then you can claim the tax break. Yeah, Here you've different. actually got to find the, the donor as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I asked Rod Sims about that, he, I asked him, had he any idea from Treasury or Finance, the numbers? He said they were quite small, so I think you're probably mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Let's move back to you, Sash's privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all waiting for your very excellent book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but in the meantime, <laughs> Recommendation 16... Goes to the H, uh, by yeah. the, goes to the heart of the of the matter. It's, well, they've got um, it, it wants stronger uh, privacy act provisions. Right. Well, they've got to, uh, to start. What I'd say here is the ACCC wasn't really asked to look into privacy. No, it wasn't. What you know, they were asked to look into the impact of digital platforms um, on news and advertising, mm-hmm. on media and advertising. I think that was the phrase, um, and so. Should they have looked into privacy? Well, I think once we think about um, today's media ecosystem more comprehensively, it was just, it's a great thing that they did and they needed to. Um, privacy is just such a big issue uh, and it gets to the very heart of the, the, the issue here about market power of these digital platforms. You know, it's the data that these platforms have that gives them all their power. That's the deal. Right. right. We, so, we, they, we get the services for free right. with hooks across the word free yep. and we, they get our data. Exactly, exactly. So so I commend the ACCC on taking privacy so seriously, making it such a big part of their of their investigation and then on coming up with these really strong recommendations, um, realising uh, as, they, as they do in their recommendations that privacy is totally inadequately protected at the moment and needs those protections need to be beefed up and also in recommendation 17, it kind of has this sort of Cambridge analytical moment. And then that flows into this uh, overhaul of the act proposal. We were talking about getting rid of some of the exemptions for things like political parties and de-identification of information. So no more pseudos, you know. On right. The, what's going on there? What are they aiming at? Well, there's, there's a whole lot of detail in these recommendations that is all really geared towards having a more comprehensive uh, set of legal privacy protections. Um, currently, they're woefully inadequate. So yes, the Privacy Act um, will be, um, according to these recommendations, the Privacy Act should be improved and strengthened. But apart from that, there's, there needs to be a much broader reform of privacy law. And I think Australia, like other countries, is just screaming out for it. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the kind of, if you like, overarching themes of this whole report is that, in a sense, we've all been a little bit asleep. You know, you look at the numbers of the penetration of Google and Facebook, and on nearly everywhere you look, you know, this massive penetration, seventeen it's between 17 and 19 million uh, users a month, mm. depending on which platform you're looking at, uh, and then all the subsidiary platforms off it. So have we all been asleep at the wheel on, on this sort of stuff? Well, uh, to, to some extent, but what I think works so well here is that privacy is brought into this whole larger question of mm. these digital platforms, how they opera, operate, what their effect is on consumers. Um, and as a result, we can't, 
from this report, we can see that we can't think about um, uh, the news media, for instance, or we can't think about other issues to do with digital platforms without taking into account privacy, because we need to realise that that's the fundamental way that um, mm. these digital platforms operate. You yeah, know, there's currency. A, you know, it's almost a, a cliche to say now that data is the new oil. Mm. I thought it was a new Bitcoin, but anyway. Um, so let's go on to another matter. Uh, so you, Sash, my, myself to some extent, although I'm not my strong suit, I'd have to say, and Derek, we all sweated on the media f- regulations framework uh, part of this, and we've thought about this, talked about it, written a bit about it. Um, I know that sounds about as exciting as eating 10 sayos all at once, but it does go to the heart of the digital world we live in and how it operates. Uh, Derek, what do you think? I mean, has the HFC got it right here or did it not go far enough on the on the suggestions around a new framework well i don't see why it's as boring as eating thank you for saying person myself well, i hear you're a brand person are you <laughs> but anyway. yeah thank you so much <laughs> what was the question oh, yeah, that's right. media fra- media regulations yeah, okay yeah. because we we live in a converged world Right. So uh, does this adequately recognize the converged world? You know, we have a set of frameworks, regulations now, which, you know, get us all sorts, in all sorts of tangles, doesn't really adequately uh, realize the world that we live in is a converged world where, uh, you know, a, a broadcaster is a website provider, mm, yeah. and, you know, a newspaper is a radio station, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Yeah. So the, so the ACCC has, has gone into this really tricky territory, which is... Um, uh, recognizing that yes, we get we might get the same content via uh, many different platforms, and why do we have these different regulations that apply depending on how you get it, as opposed to what the content is? So that is something that um, that the ACCC is by no means the first to raise that. So in some ways, it's been under discussion for a couple of decades, but um, but but certainly uh, it was on the agenda with the convergence review a few years ago and. Um, the ACMA um, has pointed to some of these issues. The Department of Communications has done so, and now the um, the ACCC is there. So its um, its challenge, I think, is in this concept of developing something that is platform neutral. Mm. And and uh, what do you do? How do you get to a position where you've got some rules that uh, might make sense across different platforms? Um, without necessarily making everything, eradicating the differences that need to be there. So they do say um, they do say that they're not seeking to get a uniform environment, um, but they're seeking to get an environment where uh, like providers or like content is treated the same as much as possible. Mm. And I suppose where they don't, what, where that's as far as they get. So where yes. they don't go is what's beyond that. What does that actually mean? Yes, they tell us we're, what we kind of already knew. Yeah, in, in a way. Right? Yeah, that's right. But so, yeah, it's kind of no man's land. Out that's there. right. The so point this, of no return. This is the eternal question about you know what do you do about Netflix um, if it's uh, you know it's um, getting a lot of attention. Audiences are moving from to some extent from. Um, from television to streaming services, Ooh. Netflix doesn't have those obligations like us um, content, Australian content and children's content. The broadcasters do. They've still got to do that and it's expensive and it doesn't necessarily generate the audiences, certainly in terms of children's content. What do you do about that? Do you impose new regulations on um, the pr- providers like Netflix or do you remove the obligations that apply to um, free-to-air broadcasters? 
Um, so if you were king of the mm, world, mm. what would you do? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very reluctant to remove all obligations, but I can see the what's called this regulatory imbalance, this disparity that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there, there's this question about where, how do you, how do you redefine your your policy priorities, or how do you do it? And so there's a lot of discussion about do you, for example, remove the um, say the broadcast quotas and come up with a kind of a financial obligation that, and the broadcasters would continue to have a financial obligation, but then you'd also um, uh, impose that kind of obligation on providers like Netflix. So there's a lot of merit in that. Um, but maybe the answer is somewhere in the middle that it's something of one or something mm. of the other. But the, but the question is, does that, does that apply in the same way to Google or to well, that's, that's a great Facebook, question. which are yeah. different again from yeah. Netflix? Of course. And well, just in the similar vein as that question, uh, one place where they didn't go, although it, it may yet go in these codes that have to be negotiated between the platforms and news media. But one place it didn't explicitly go was this kind of idea of a content tax on the platforms. Mm. Why do you think it stopped at that? Because that was really, that was what the, if you were going to play to the crowd, as, as in play to the journals, that was, mm. you know, item number one, well, o- along with break up Google and Facebook, which was mm. in, would have been item 1.1 <laughs> or 1.2. Well, listening to Rod Sims talk on, on your show the other day, he, um, uh, he he said very clearly that the, that's still very much open. You know, their recommendations still very much leave yeah. open the idea for that sort of content levy. But it wasn't explicit. But, um, no, it's in the code. Of, it could arise from the code of yeah. conduct. But in any event, I, th- I suppose they they didn't set out to solve the Netflix problem. I probably mm. um, I've taken us there because we're talking about the principle of it. But well, they're looking at news principally at news and journalism, not say drama and entertainment. True, but the same all. same solution gets applied to the Netflix. So, you know, tax Netflix in some way so that content can be used to make Australian programs. Yes, mm. it's yeah, the same in principle. principle right? Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, and, and just on that question, um, I know, I mean, in a sense, it would have been Im- probably impossible to do this, but it would have been very popular with certain groups to have broken up Facebook and Google. <laughs> ACCC, could they have done that? And does it matter that they haven't, Derek? <laughs> well, you know, I'm a very cautious person. I, uh, I, I mean, to some extent, I think... Um, I can't see the argument for that in the environment in which in which we exist. Um, and to a certain extent, regulators have had the opportunity to watch these things as they've developed. They've seen these acquisitions um, and there hasn't been action taken to this point. So absolutely, I can see um, the justification in the competition-based uh, recommendations for any future acquisitions that, in fact, you might scrutinise them more carefully. You might take into account, um, as they're suggesting, um, potential uh, f- consolidation or, or potential ramifications down the track that don't apply right now. And you might in future stop something like um, the acquisition of WhatsApp by by Facebook in the future. But as to the point of actually calling for divestment, then um, uh, in, in our environment, I think I, I find that quite hard to support in principle given where we are but of course there's the practicality of yeah. it that um, i mean how how could you vest how in, in australia, australia could you mm. demand that that happen yeah no i agree and it is worth noting the uh, more radical suggestion by some academics that uh, these companies should be put into public ownership they shouldn't be in private hands You're, are you one of those sorts of academics Sasha? I can't say um, no, no. I, I find it a very interesting argument. I think, you know, A, it's extremely unlikely, and B, I'm, I'm not sure that's the right way to approach it. But um, a, and, I was and, always taken by the view 
when you know and Fairfax, for instance, would complain about Facebook. I think you know, wouldn't it? Be, wonder what they would say if someone in Fairfax had thought, "Oh, let's start this thing that does basically <laughs> the same functions as Facebook." Mm. I mean, mm. that would have solved the whole problem for the news media industry because <laughs> they thought about Facebook before Facebook did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on on the on the competition aspect, I guess Sasha pointed before to the um, the point about market power in the data area, and so what is really important about this is that it's um, it's looked through all of this evidence and it's actually come to a conclusion that both Facebook and Google, uh, those two in particular, have market power in two or three different markets within Australia. So there's a for the re- there's a sense of for the record that yes. that is now established and yes. clearly uh, clearly the case. What what the ACCC doesn't do, and probably you know this is this is good that it steered this kind of middle course is that it's it's not said that um okay it's uh, that those two firms have misused their market power in these specific ways and as a result action needs to be taken but it's established that in fact this is the case that you that there is no denying the fact that um in relation to search and in relation to news feed social media and so on there's um these two have this position mm. that that means that it's perfectly reasonable in a public policy sense that they are scrutinised very closely. Yeah, mm. no, and, and mm. to that point, I think they were they made a, a very clear point of putting the you know the big numbers in in the report. Mm. Just just for the record here, uh, over nineteen point two Australian million Australians use Google search a month. Seventeen point three million use Facebook. Seventeen point six watch YouTube. Uh, which is owned by Google, of course, and 1.2 million access Instagram mm. owned by yeah, Facebook, and then there's yeah. WhatsApp. I mean, they're incredibly. Yeah. Uh, one question I put, one thing I put to Rod Sims was so, aren't they just doing something that people love? And should we just let them alone and get doing things that people love? Because clearly they're well, very popular. Yes, um, um, they're letting people do what they love. But no, they should not be left alone because uh, <laughs> there can be all sorts of unethical practices and uh, dodgy practices, quite simply. And this is – so to, to bring it back to privacy, I guess, mm. on, on this point, um, one of the other recommendations we haven't mentioned yet are to do with um, – essentially versions of consumer law, you know, bringing in versions of consumer law to apply to privacy practices. And that's something I'm a big um, believer in, um, having done my research into privacy as well. So um, it specifies, uh, the ACCC specifies a prohibition against unfair contract terms. Mm -hmm. And that was recommendation 20. And then in recommendation 21, a prohibition against certain unfair trading practices. Now, these things sound really elementary. They sound so obvious that, you know, why are we even talking about them? But the fact is, when it comes to privacy, um, that sort of, those standards haven't been applied. They need to apply and they need to be, um, that needs to be, that point needs to be made very explicit. So we're in a whole new world here on that. Yeah, I mean, it should be elementary, but it hasn't been. So yes, we are. Mm. So going back to recommendations, uh, recommendation 14 um, explores the idea of the platforms should do more on what they call credibility signaling, which Mm. isn't I should, you know, isn't the virtue signaling that the Australian newspaper goes on about all the time? Uh, it, it's all it's it's forms of, if you like, digital branding or algorithmic use to identify content reliability, trustworthiness, um, and other kind of factors. What do you think about that, Derek? This sort of mm. trust, kind of enhancing trust on in journalism, kind of. Yeah, I think that um, that has potential, but we don't really know how much um, potential it has, but it has. Yeah, it feels good. It does feel good, and it's. um, I think to the extent that it promotes um, verification techniques and fact checking and trust factors and so on, um, then that's great. So the but 
But to be fair, Google and Facebook and others are, are actually taking a fair bit of action in that um, in that area themselves. They have invested in that. Um, this is, uh, I suppose, taking it one one step further, but not two steps. So two steps would be to actually require them to do that in a regulatory sense and imposing penalties if they don't do that. This is a recommendation that the that the regulator actually monitor what they're doing and report on it, um, which seems like, uh, particularly for the subject matter, what we're talking about here, this this kind of credibility signaling, actually seems like a reasonable approach to say, okay, all right, so let's have some oversight, some reporting, but don't intervene too strongly here because actually there are some things that are being done that, that are quite valuable, whether that's the trust indicators or first draft news or other kinds of fact checking. They're, they're good. They're good initiatives. So let's just kind of have some tra- transparency of that and some reporting on it. So mm. yeah, that's a that's a worthwhile aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And Sash, you've done quite a lot of work on trust. Uh, look, I have, and and um, I've been really heartened that trust um, was really a big theme with the ACCC's report. Here it comes up again under um, data and, and privacy. This notion of um, users needing to be able to trust the way their data is being handled and and it really is crucial you know all sorts of philosophers um and various other academics have have just written about the value of trust the importance of trust and shown the link between high trusting societies and thriving societies you know so we know that that societies where trust reigns are societies that that really work well um and we have a problem with trust at the moment do you think fixing trust on the platforms will also fix trust, the trust problem with news media because let's not you know shy away from this. We have a trust yes. issue in news media, as, as our work and other work has shown. Yes, I think they're they're connected. I think they're deeply connected, and I think we have this very complicated media ego, ecosystem now, um, and there is a problem with trust uh, in different ways with say Facebook uh, compared to with news media. Say um, so. You know, digital platforms and news media, they're, they're not identical, but there is a trust issue with both. Mm. And if we address trust with one, we will hopefully also help build trust in the other. But, yeah, there are trust issues with both and we need to work on them. Mm, okay. We've got room for a few more questions. But, uh, Derek, you travel the world <laughs> <laughs> talking about uh, media regulation, media reform, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you... You know, with that sort of hat on or with that view on, how do you think this report? How influential do you think this report will be in the in the you know in, on the planet, as it were? You know, are people looking at Australia for leadership here, or by default, but for leadership anyway? Yeah, well, it's certainly it has certainly got a lot of attention um, already. So, um, as you said, it's it's been going on, I think, for about eighteen months now, and so the first round with the draft report got attention. Rod Sims personally has been recognised for the work of um, the commission. Um, when I was at a, um, a, a conference um, towards the end of last year, um, even then people were, were paying attention to it. Which and, one was that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> was at the regulatory conference. <laughs> Very nice, thank you. <laughs> the one in Berlin or...? <laughs> I'm going no further. <laughs> then, um, and then I went to one in um, in um, in Washington this year, um, which was a gathering of, you know, a lot of people are involved both in regula- regulation and policy, um, and uh, and so yeah, people are aware of what the ACCC is doing because it fits within this international environment that um, 
that so the UK government has issued its online harms white paper, which is um, which looks at a number of these issues, but a number of other aspects. Um, I think you mentioned at the start the Cancross review of journalism in the UK, which mm. um, which is was doing something similar to the ACCC, and I'll just come back to that in a moment. But but in a way, the strength of the ACCC um, and what, from my observation, what people are have said about it in the context of those other, knowing what, as they do, what's happening in their own jurisdictions, is that the ACCC has taken this approach that covers competition law as well as copyright and, and privacy. Put, put and things media. together. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so there are a number of different people watching it. Um, whether yeah. or not, to that, that is a drawback in a way as well, I suppose, in that it's not directly transferable elsewhere because this, this activity around different domains and they're all... Mm related to our peculiar hmm. um, uh, frameworks yeah, within Australia. Point. So yeah. uh, I wouldn't expect it to be picked up and applied somewhere else. But at the same time, it, the thinking that's, um, and the evidence gathering um, is, you know, is an important part of this, this international work that's being done. On that Cancross um, point, I mean, Ooh. it was interesting actually that I think it's gone the other way now. And that, uh, so the Cancross Review reported a few months ago and the, uh, the, the business code, the code that the ACCC is now pro- proposing about how uh, platforms would be required to uh, have codes that they register with the ACMA that, mm. that kind of govern their dealings with, um, with news media, um, that's something that is quite similar to what Cancross has proposed. So clearly this kind of um, this thinking that's happening in different countries around the world is actually quite productive in that mm. <laughs> uh, elements of the best of everywhere are available for others to consider. I've got a slightly unfair question for you, but, but <laughs> just let's put our, uh, our boots, our collective feet into the shoes of Google and Facebook. What do you think they would be thinking about this, Derek? Uh, well, I think there's not... Well, you raised the question about um, uh, should there be a recommendation for divestment? Mm. And so clearly the the kind of... The, the the nuclear option hasn't yes. been proposed. So they'd be happy about that. They'd be happy about that. Um, they'd be happy, I think, that the the idea that was being floated about an algorithms regulator, mm. which might have, which might require them, if it were possible anyway, to uh, reveal confidential commercial information to a regulatory authority, is not being proposed. So they'd be happy about that. Uh, however, there is uh, there are so many different. Um, areas of recommendation here that in fact suddenly I think the regulatory framework within which they work is being beefed up you know across the board or there's the potential for it depending on how the government reacts to it of course so um, so it's a lot more work for them Um, there's obligations coming that could potentially come in across a range of different areas so but you know that's probably that's one of those costs of business and it won't send them out of business um, maybe the the areas that I'm not so involved in are the ones that are actually the most significant for them, which is data management and privacy and 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 mm. what they can do on that front. Because um, uh, it's unclear to me just uh, you know mm. just just how significant those are and how will they they will affect their business practices. The other aspects I think that we've been talking about here, um, you know, they're manageable. They, they, there are a number of players within the Australian environment that have to that have to comply with a whole range of obligations like this. It's not unreasonable that we would expect these players to do so. And, and mm. perhaps it's illustrative that they haven't 
gone crazy in their response to the DPI yeah. far from it. In fact, mm. they've hardly said much and said they're going to cooperate with these various uh, consultations that are now going to continue. Mm. But to that point, the algorithmic cancel, I mean, I'm glad mm. you raised that because, mm. you know, that was a biggie in the preliminary report and uh, and it seems to have, it's not it's still there, but it's not there in that kind of explicit way it was in the preliminary report. Is that, uh, a, what do you think of that, Sasha? Well, I was quite impressed with the initial preliminary recommendation for the mm. um, algorithmic oversight. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'd hate to see that I think what they've the done in terms of the news media business, I think there's a provision that they that um, the news media providers will have to be told of changes before, and which was also yeah. something that the council yeah. was going to do. So mm. I think they've gone some way. They just haven't established this. That was a really good observation, I think, about the impact upon news and journalism of those algorithm changes is so mm. can be so profound, mm. more so than just for a, for a business in another in another area of the economy because yes. of um, the, nature the fact of that it's a public good and that it's you know, yeah and that and the, the and, and you look so at difficult. say BuzzFeed. Mm. Basically, its business model was, you know, I think it was one point seventy percent of its mm. uh, people were coming to BuzzFeed through their seventy percent of people going to BuzzFeed were getting the contact through Facebook. So right. it was the single mm. biggest, most important thing. And then they changed the algorithm, and they could get there. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, and we know what's happened. So, uh, anyway, I'm sorry, I slightly interrupted your thought there. No, uh, I was just, I guess, if I think about the issues here, there are some uh, recommendations that are peculiarly Australian and quite specifically Australian. And there are others that really are international in their scope. Um, and privacy is, is really ultimately largely international. You know, we need to mm. think about privacy in global terms. Mm. These, are, these are multinational companies operating all around the world, Google and Facebook, of course. Um, and so, you know, what we get now, it doesn't really make sense for um, laws of countries to be vastly out of line. There needs to be some sort of global mm. consistency. It doesn't mean every country needs to have exactly the same privacy laws, I don't think, but there needs to be some sort of level of, of global acknowledgement of this issue and what needs to be done. And I think, you know, the, the tech companies have started saying this as well. There needs to be some sort of global solution when it comes to privacy laws. So the model that we that's most often cited now is the European one, the General mm. Data Protection Regulation, and, and just some observations on that, That's um, which, which in some ways the ACCC is taking some steps towards in some of its recommendations. Um, but it, it has now been in force in Europe for a, a year or so, and it's still very unclear. Mm. And having spoken to, to a good lawyer friend, a lawyer who's a good friend, um, there are still a lot of problems. Even companies don't really understand how it's the details of how it operates, the difference between a data processor and a data controller and those sort of the really significant details. So, look, this is um, – we need to think in a global context. Um, that's going to be hard but it's not impossible and it will take some time. And I think what this um, report does really well is is – take that global context into account. As Rod Sims keeps saying, he's in touch with all the, the equivalent oh, yeah. bodies overseas, you know, yeah, and I think that's really so. important. Yeah, no, he travels more than Derek. <laughs> um, let's, my final question. So <laughs> my final question. Let's look into the crystal ball and uh, let's look forward, say, 18 months. So uh, let's assume that all these codes have been, it's been consultation process, the federal government has largely backed the ACCC's report, the codes are now in place, ACMA's got you know, these new teeth, uh, ACCC's got this new digital branch, all these things are in play and the, and the platforms are playing nicely uh, or nicer. Um, <laughs> so what do we see 
Derek and, and Sash, what do we what do we see? What is our picture? How rosy? I mean, is journalism saved in eighteen months? Is that what's going to happen? I mean, what what, what sort of world are we going to be living in if the ATC report flows through as it flows through? Well, maybe I'll deal with that if, and then I'll that, the, the bigger, the Fair harder enough. question to Sasha. So, so at least on the media, the media side, on the media framework, um, there was to be a review, and that's changed in this in this final report to what the ACCC calls a process as deemed appropriate by government for for moving to this uh, kind of harmonised media or converged media uh, regulatory environment and. Uh, it's hard to know what that means. It's been something that's been on the on the on on the cards for some time. But um, it, you know, there's a fairly there's a fairly big task, but important task there, which is looking not just at these aspects, but how because the ACCC, for example, hasn't looked at into aspects like um, uh, responding to violent content, like the response mm. to Christchurch. So mm, there are other yeah. components, even though they've been. Wide yep. ranging. There are some things that they haven't looked into. Of course, their their brief doesn't didn't extend to telecommunications and so on. And there's a bigger task there, which is reforming that communications regulatory environment. So there's a question, first of all, about whether these content issues are, are tried. We try to solve them on their own, or whether they fit to within that 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 kind of bigger reform process. Mm-hmm. So if it's that bigger reform process, eighteen months from now till then to the to the um, uh, to the rebirth of journalism is uh, maybe a bit hopeful, but right. yeah. no, no, I take your point. There's a lot to be done, and yeah. and as you say, even though this has got 619 pages, there's a whole another 619 pages waiting out there to be written. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sasha. Well, you know, I'm by nature an optimist. I guess I think these are just very significant recommendations, and uh, they point us in the the right direction. Where um, mm-hmm. if they're adopted news media and journalism has a better chance of of doing the job it needs to do in supporting democracy and also people's data isn't exploited <laughs> where where people are engaging with these services on a more fair level where their their, their data is being in, used in is being used in a way that's more transparent and more fair mm. um so that's that's all i would hope that these recommendations are implemented and that leads to an environment where um, there's more fairness in the way people's data is being used and the way these transactions go on. And also journalism and news media gets a nice mm. boost. Yeah, okay. that same principle probably applies in the, in, the, um, in the journalism area, that kind of that harm principle, because some of what underpins um, these recommendations is the do no harm to, um, mm. to journalism, or, and which is, I guess that it's that, that, that business code, that code of practice about the relationship between the platforms and the news media that is possibly the most important of the recommendations in in that field because yes. if that is if the if that is drafted in such a way that it it really does require some serious thinking about that and that 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 code of practice is only registered by the ACMA if it's got strong protections in it mm. then those kinds of practices like um, sudden changes that really dramatically to algorithms that really dramatically affect news mm. should start to disappear from this environment so and, um, and and not to mention also the potential for more money to flow into yeah, journalism exactly. for the use of the yeah. content. And and notwithstanding what I said before about the, the kind of the time frame, some some initiatives like that are obviously possible within um, our existing regulatory framework. Those those kinds of codes can be developed. We have the regulator there, the ACMA that's been mm-hmm. um, working 
um, with these, these kinds of processes as well as service providers for many years. So even if we don't have the full review of the, the communications framework, some of these suggestions are able to be advanced, you would think, within within that time period, period mm, okay. that you're, you're pointing right. to. Well, on the, uh, those two very positive notes, mm-hmm. that's about all we have time for. Derek Wilding, the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition, and Sasha Molitoritz, the postdoctoral fellow and author of a forthcoming fantastic new book on privacy. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Bruno. And thank you all for listening to Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country, hopefully on the Community Radio <laughs> Network. Uh, and make sure you've subscribed to Fourth Estate on your favorite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics, and everything in between at your leisure. Uh, We'll be back very soon with much more on the Fourth Estate. But in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter where our handle is Fourth Estate AU. And many thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name is Peter Frey, and thank you very much for listening. (laughs) 